Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Countdown to Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And nothing's going to stop us making the most of every festive moment. Our gift cards can be used in all Tesco stores nationwide. On all groceries, F&F clothing and Tesco mobile. And we're offering great discounts on bulk orders for organisations this Christmas. To find out more, visit tescoforbusiness.com and call our team today. For a limited time only. Terms and conditions apply. Tesco. Every little helps. Welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast, a place where we are changing the narrative and having progressive conversations about black fathers, as well as creating a safe digital space for the community. This is the Dope Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. Today, I am joined in rage and in fury and in another adjective that I can't think of. White people are being crazy again. What the hell do we do about it? I have woken up today, okay? England have formally disappointed me as a nation. Yes, they disappointed me with Brexit. Yes, they disappointed me with voting Conservative six times in a row. Yes, they disappointed me by re-establishing Boris Johnson, Theresa May, and half of David Cameron I couldn't stand. I could tolerate the other half. And we are still here now, and England are finding new lows New lows as a nation, as a as a country, as a group of people, as a cultural leaders, apparently, this is, I'm quoting somebody now, cultural leaders in the eradication of racism and slavery have somehow surprised me again with the vim that has been presented to three incredibly powerful and impactful black men who have taken penalties at the behest of their manager, okay? Now, if a black man normally fucks around with his line manager, he's told that he's fired. So mm-hmm. we've learned to listen to our line managers. We will do what you say. They've stepped up to take their penalties on behalf of their country. They've missed. Now, in all fairness, if you are a football pundit, you fundamentally understand that Donnarumma is a, an alien in the sense of a goalkeeper. He is not a man. He is not normally size-limbed as a person. He can reach lower, further, higher than most other people can. And so they missed their penalties fair but then we have post that received seen some of the most horrific and violent abuse and anti-black sentiment that i have seen in years bearing in mind this is a year of post george floyd armored arbery amy cooper covid we've had a few things happen in the last 12 months but specifically now we've seen the disgusting sentiment and what parts of britain genuinely feel about blackness 
We've seen a guy that works at Savills, a property company, one of the largest in the world, using the N-word profusely. We've seen journalists telling footballers they must not focus on politics, but focus on penalties. When they are C-minus students and have no nerve to tell anybody about their excellence. I've had to bring Marvin and Marlon here today to quell my fury. And they've done very well so far, but I'm going to have to ask, what, what do you feel? Marvin, Marlon, where are we? How do you feel? First of all, run Jamaica there, please. Okay. The seven billion. <laughs> exactly. The seven billion. <laughs> First of all, was run them their peas. And second of all, like, just allow them, man. This is football. Like, this is the first final we've seen in my lifetime. 55 years, mm. a final carried by Sterling. Allow us, man. Just allow us. You know what I mean? The pressure on, on the ninth, the whole nation, he could, you could see he could feel it. He knew when Saka went up to take, he, he, he could just see, he knew it. And it's like the air, it, it just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I understand it, but boom, we're, we're at a, you know, we've come further than we've ever come before. No one's focusing on that. It's like, ah, oh, you know, it should have come home, but it didn't come home. We didn't win. And now these free black payers, it's there for where it, no, no, you're in a final. You need to chill. And I love that picture when they're like, take out diversity, there's free players. <laughs> Free, take them, quad <laughs> with them. So no, nah, they just they need to just um, what's it, see San Seco. No, nah, and and then there was that thing on Twitter about if you you get points for what you do to black people. Like, did someone act, was was man them that angry? Don't even man them. Was people that angry that they sat down? <laughs> constructed what, explain this. that. Explain that game to us. What what was it that you saw? So it was a, uh, it was like a chart and it had various heinous acts. Like I think it was spit at a black person, take a black person's clothes, beat them, lynch them, and you get a series of points per act that you, that you deliver. Like, so for someone to sit down there and go through that was like, right, okay, spit at a black person, uh, a thousand points. Nope, 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 50 points. Oh, yeah, that's mm. better. <laughs> you know, I mean, for someone like, where are you look at? It's over football and the final that no one's reached. In no one's in in how many years? You know what I mean. My dad was my dad even born them times. Yeah, wow. he was here. My dad was ten or yeah. something when when the last time England reached the final. Like the, like the man, them they just need to chill. Like it's it's a lot. And then the dude from from Savills, like what are you on? Mm. <laughs> what are you actually doing yeah. and on? Like like I don't I don't understand by venting your frustration. You know, using race and not recognizing the accomplishments that people have brought to this tournament, you know, and then you're, you're meant to be. So he was an estate agent, isn't he? For Savills. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that was, he showed his racist hand and think about all the uh, racist projection he's, exactly. you know, through his yeah. career, all the, all the, you know, middle class black people that have stepped up to get some of these seriously horrendous properties that he's selling. And he's just like, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 bro, is them. Nah, yeah. that's a black. Nah, you know what I mean. So all the racism he's enacted while he's been in post, and and you know not just him, all the others that we don't see. You know, it's, it, racism is very it's under the carpet here. You know, you have to look real hard. <laughs> you know, you know. So do you know what? It just reminds me. I had, I had a job in a in a place in bank. It was a sports shop. It's not even there no more. I was working for an agency, and they sent me there. It was like, oh, you know, go to the sports shop, and they were paying good money. I think it was like them times. When people were earning three sixty one an hour, they were paying like six pounds. So I was like, yes. And I remember I got there and I spoke to them on the phone. They wanted uh, like a phone interview. So I spoke to them on the phone. They were like, cool, great, come in. 
So I came in, but I remember my voice is very professional. So I came in and everyone was like, I remember the whole, and I was like, oh, maybe they were expecting a woman or something. I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> anyway, so just carried on working and no one spoke to me. No one spoke to me. My man was just on the, the, the manager where it was just like, get in the back, you know, do, do with the boxes, just unpack. And everyone was like some slave labor, some, you know, camp going on there. And I couldn't understand it. And then it dawned on me. I was like, I'm, it's cause I'm black. Yeah, <laughs> that's why yeah. they don't like me you know what I mean and that's where we're still at <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean so yeah I mean Lau Rashford like he's feeding people's picnics like Lau it Lowe. feeding people's picnics yeah, yeah like no the government weren't interested they wanted to they cut universal credit they weren't interested in you know supplying money for food banks Rashford stepped up to the plate used his platform and fed people fed human beings like you know our basic human right he mm. came through and did it. You know what I mean? Low it. Like, these are seasoned professionals. Like, nah, the man them, nah, stop calling them man them. Racist and bigots need to take time. Yeah. yeah. Marvin, <sighs> where are you at? Yeah, I mean, I know I agree. I agree with everything Marlon said. And I think, like, we've been telling them that racism is alive and kicking in, in the UK. I think the, the issue around the murder of George Floyd is a lot of people put the attention on America and acted like nothing was happening over here. But we experience it, you know, we know people are gaslit, that people are denied the kind of the honest interaction that they deserve as, as obviously as black people. And then, yeah, and people downplay and they're like, oh, we're not that bad. You know, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as it could be. Or it's not as bad as it used to be. But we're saying it's alive and well. And we're saying that the same people that are racist or that we call racist are, as Marlon said, people that work in establishments where they have decision-making power over black people. And then all it's taken is for, for free black guys to miss a penalty. And now we can see it. Now the mask has been pulled off. The veil's been removed. And now we can see that there is a lot of racism in this country. And it just makes me think, why weren't you believing us before? Did it have to take this for you to believe and listen to us? And even down to the race report that came out a few months ago, people are so quick to say, oh yeah, institutional racism, you know, it's 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 no longer um, rife in the UK. And it's, you know, it's, it's diminishing now. And people are so happy to celebrate that. And what did they say? They said like the UK was like a, an example for other countries on, on, on race relations and, and, and things like that. But then now we can see that those same people who were uplifting that report, you know, some of them and their family and their friends are people that are involved in this type of racism as well. This doesn't exist in a vacuum. These same people that are racist in football, they have jobs, they have kids, they have families, they have responsibilities, and, and they don't like black people. And, and also the thing that gets me is the vocabulary. Where do they learn these words? Like, it's, it's almost as though when, when they're triggered, they can think of every vile, abusive word. Words that I don't even know that they refer to us as. I'm hearing when they're, you know, when they're ranting and raving about us. It's almost like there's a there's a finishing school that they go to that kind of gives them that that racism qualification. So when they when they then want to want to talk about us, they've got that wide vocabulary. And it's no, it's disgusting. It's practice, and it shows that this is something that you know in in private they do, and now they feel confident enough to do it publicly. And yeah, we can't have it. Do, do you know what the, the source of it that, that frustrates me is that obviously, and it's kind of what you guys are saying, we've gone through this like, you know, we had London 2012, which is the peak of civilization in the UK. I, I think we peaked. This is where Britain was like, still full of shit in many ways, like, you know, but it was human. It was like, it balanced it out enough. And then I think we went into this overdrive beyond that point. And obviously there were some economic crashes and there's COVID and things that have happened since, but I, th I think we've just gone into an overdrive to unidentifiable like rhetoric around what kind of country we are, what kind of people we are. And the thing that Britain was always like labeled with was that Britain was like sophisticated racism. It was kind of like, yeah, 
We don't like those N-words. We're going to keep them out, but we're not going to tell anybody we're doing that. Whereas now it's just like, bruv, N-words, get out of it. And they're just so disrespectful, so blatant, so obtuse about it. And, I, you know, for me, and this is my personal way of dealing with things, like I understand that there are bigger forces at play in every single sense of life, but... I don't want it thrown in my face constantly. I want to be able to get on with my life. And if I choose to tune out from it, I can. I'm aware that something may be happening in a structural sense. I appreciate that. I'm used to fighting that in the realms that I have impact in. But I also want the ability to switch off and dial down my activism and not feel like I have to defend my likeness every minute of every day. And so I think that's been a, that's been taken away from us. That we haven't been able to ignore what's been going on. We've been forced to deal with the worst imaginations of some of the least intelligent people ever, the most disconnected emotionally people ever. Because if, you know, in essence, they're just being louder and platformed more. I look at things like the launch of the GB News Station, which by all things sounds like it's not doing very well but I guarantee you if there was a black platform that had the amount of viewers that GB News had it wouldn't for a second last that long it would be completely wiped out there'd be no advertisers it'd be called a failure and it'd be platformed as a negative but somehow the platform is still going advertisers are still spending money there people are still retweeting the nonsense that comes out of its Twitter feed and I'm just like I feel like you know logic has been lost and whoever's funding this or whoever's looking to benefit from this has created a real divide with a very small group of people but made to feel like it's lots and if you have there's a program i think it was on amazon that talks about how fox news was created so interesting to watch and basically what the you know they they were trying to make a competitor for msnbc and then that's a very liberal news platform and then the guy comes in he's like we're not doing that we're going to speak to this group of people and we're going to make them feel like they're this big and actually by then you start converting people over so when the group you know you close a factory and then you blame it on somebody and they're like oh it's these metropolitan elite rich billionaires that are doing it's these democrats or it's these you know and you start blaming and you create this real divide so every time something bad happens you give them a person to blame and then you start building sentiment and changing the narrative in a country then before you know it bbc which is meant to be this grandstanding shiny beacon of journalistic integrity can't tell people that something's racist can't tell somebody that we're doing the knee you're not allowed to do the knee or or, or on, on any bbc platform it's actually frowned upon it's considered a political gesture which is absurd it's absurd it's a knee it's been going on for so long it's absurd and now we've just lost this like middle ground so you are either fighting proactively for the existence of your likeness or you are fighting directly against it there is no middle ground there is no space for indifference in this era what what, what have you found in like your immediate circles but also in the spaces that you go into that aren't necessarily the spaces that you necessarily come from i think for me i think there's a you know there's a lot of allies i think that that became apparent also this year and last year that there's a lot of allies and people who they're they're as disgusted as us because they don't they don't identify with that type of rhetoric, with that type of thinking. And they want to know what they can do. They want to understand how they can move past their fragility and through their privilege. So I think there is a lot of like a lot of people want to learn. They want to listen. You tell them a book to read or something to watch, they'll go away. They love a car lot. Like, you know, they're they're really involved. They're really they, you know, they really want to make a change. But then I think there is a very kind of resilient side as well of people that they don't think it's that bad. And they think we're making a lot of fuss about nothing. I heard something really interesting at this week and um, this week at work, one of our directors was talking and, and the way she broke it down has made more sense than I've heard in a long time. And it was, it was talking about, you know, the ego states you get within like psychology about child, parent and adult. And what she was describing is that we can look at it from a country perspective. There's very much like a child and a, and a parent perspective. 
So we, as black people in this country, we're not having an adult to adult conversation. They don't, they don't rate us like that. So they feel like we're that whiny child in the background that's always making a fuss about something and they need to come along and parent and just do enough to put us back in our box, quieten us down and they can get on with what they need to do. And we've not got to that point where the conversation matured, where they actually listen to us and value us as another adult and say, okay, sorry, what are we doing wrong? How can we fix it and hold us accountable and make sure it happens? And I feel like that's what we need to get to. And some places are getting there, but there is very much that, you know, do what we say. And if we tell you that you're making making a fuss about nothing, believe us because we know better than you are. It's like it's like Marvin was saying that like, we know that you shouldn't be kneeling because kneeling is a political gesture. Mm. And no man, go suck out. You can't tell us why we kneel. We we know <laughs> we know because we want to kneel. Like we know why we want to kneel. And I think James O'Brien spoke about it this week. Like you can't tell someone when to stop kneeling or even why they're kneeling. You know, mm. you need to ask them why they're kneeling and let them tell you when they want to stop. We can't decide when that stops. Um, as as you know, as as the kind of the the the, the European race or you know white people, they can't tell us when to stop kneeling. We decide when we stop. We decide when we're happy. But yeah, I feel like they don't rate us. They see us as kids, as, even as a as a demographic, as as a um, as a race, and they think they know us better than we know them. Yeah, um, and that's that's the problem. But what they got to understand is we've been studying whiteness since we were born. Because if we didn't study it, we would we were at threat of dying and not being paid or not eating, mm. not progressing, not being educated. You know, they, I, I've, I understand whiteness intimately. I, I understand the mood, the energy, the language, the shifts in posture. You know, it's funny because I did a, um, and this may not be fair, but I did an interview. And the legacy of this, this the type of interaction with white people at time creates quite a lot of negative experiences in me. And I think I did an interview this week and it was with a white guy and he seemed really nice. He, there may have nothing been underplayed, but there was little subtle things that were like exhibiting things that I've experienced in schools and in hospitals and with my doctors and with like what going into shops and managers. It's a little energy. And you're just like, do you know what, actually? It, it really does live in you. Like what, what would you call the impact of like experiencing racism or like stereotyping or prejudice against you? You, you know what? It is so, so slick in how it comes. So I've got a friend. And he was, uh, in terms of what you're saying, Marvin, with an eye, he's like, that experience doesn't exist because look at you. So, you know, you, you earn well, you know, you came from nothing, which is a lie because I came from a very nuclear family. <laughs> you know what I mean? With two professional parents. So my foundation was already set who prepped me for the world. So I cope. And I had to explain to him for every job I've ever gone for, there, there's three knockbacks, at least three knockbacks. You know what I mean? I don't bring my full self to work. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I create an alter ego and step in as someone else. At, at, at an interview panel, there's, you know, three counterparts and I have to think, right, I need, you know, I've got a mantra to be successful here in this country. You need to think and act like your, your, your successors. So I go and look at that company. I go and see what the people are like. And then I need to go into that interview and emulate that. So, so in terms of like those energies and, those little nuances and I hate it man I, I I hate it I hate the fact that you know I step into a shop and I know someone's going to be you know what I mean I'm in my tracksuit and my face mask and my hair's not cut <laughs> you know what I mean I hate the fact that this it's going to I know it's going to be a problem at some point or someone's going to find me threatening or if I'm walking on the street because I park my car quite far from my house so if I'm walking I park my car walking walking to my house and you know I'm hooded up because it's cold and you know, there's a couple counterparts on the street. Like, I know 
it's it's going to be someone's it's going to be tense you know what mm. i mean i i hate it i i absolutely de- detest it it's you know it's it's like another additional layer to life that no one yeah. no one else outside of our community has to experience you know what i mean it's like I, I wake up and i'm like right cool i've got this meeting i need to be triply on point for this meeting <laughs> you know what i mean like i need to know what i need to say and and every time I speak, people are going to be hanging on my every word because there's going to be a naysayer in there who doesn't want to hear a young, intelligent black guy. Can we still say young? 38? Yep. Young, intelligent black guy. They don't want to hear it. No. You know what I mean? They're, going to, they're ready to shoot you down and you're going to have to deal with all of that. It, it's, it's flipping, t- it's tiring, Aya. What, 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 <laughs> right, Marvin, what do, what do non-black people not understand? Because I think even for brown people sometimes, their ability to assimilate or, or to adjust or how they're perceived in society still allows them to adjust uh, in a particular way. And I, I think one of the, the main biggest differences between black and brown people is, you know, having your own language and having your own religion creates still uh, a safe environment which you can communicate, which you can be heard in which is different. And they also three times the population that we are in this country as well. So there's a lot more brown people than there are black people in this country. What do you think people are missing from this experience? And if you can contextualize it in the in the context of Saka, Sancho and Rashford, that would be great as yeah. well. I think it's a good question. And I think one of the things I heard this week, which I really liked is when it, they were saying that, you know, often you'll hear white people say they don't see colour. But if anyone could really say they don't see colour, it's us. And that's because we grew up except in the white families we saw on TV and enjoying those TV programs, listening to the music, you know, supporting a football team where we weren't best represented or, you know, they they didn't even like us. Like, we've truly been able to look past colour and just accept football for football. You know, we don't don't draw it down to someone's race if they're performing or not underperforming. We just see it as as our team, you know, our favourite team that we support, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool. We don't get into race or anything like that. We we like who we like. And so I think the part that people misunderstand is how accommodating we've been and how that allows people to feel comfortable, not noticing how uncomfortable that can make us. The fact that, as you know, Marlon hit the on the head, is that we can't bring our true selves to work. You know, you have to measure how much of your blackness you show in day-to-day interactions. And the way, you know, the way we speak, even here on the podcast, we probably wouldn't speak like that in the office. The way we speak offline, we definitely wouldn't speak in the office. But I feel like, for example, with white people, they can more comfortably be themselves in every facet in life because they are the dominant race in society in our society mm. so they're much more you know able to be themselves and and sometimes it doesn't come down to race but they may you, you know you've heard conversations where they're like oh, i just i don't like her she's so loud she's this she's that you know mm. what they want to say is because she's black but they find other nuanced ways of describing what they do what they don't like about someone and um, the other thing i think for me is that we're fetishized in so many different ways our our physical abilities our, our looks our you know our sexual abilities but there's a danger, especially with black men, where it's almost like they feel because you're so strong, you can take anything we throw at you. And so relentlessly, they, they abuse us and they, they throw insults and they even physically harm us. But they think, oh, that's all right. You can just dust it off. It's not going to affect you. And the amount of traumas that are in our community from our grandparents to our parents and even down to our generation. And unfortunately, now our kids are seeing it as well. That trauma affects us. And, and I always think every time you do that to a black person, you're affecting the family. You know, if, if we get bottlenecked in a job that affects the income that our family is able to benefit from, that then affects the activities your kids gets to do. It then affects what you're able to provide for your family. And then that's just another generation who's then just limited at being working class, for example, and not able to step up and, and you know, and move beyond that. So I think, yeah, people don't see the net impact that racism has. It's not just, you know, you know you're, you're shouting at these football players that get over 100k a week. 
there's there's a much larger impact that affects us on the whole and is largely the reason why we're in the positions we're in. Is, is there is there a piece of us that's like slightly naive? We are two and a half, three million, four and a half if you include in black and black mixed. We're we're in a country of sixty eight million. And, you know, there is even other European nations, uh, European citizens, sorry, or, na- or nationalities that have joined this country in similar numbers. So you think about the Eastern Bloc, we talk about South Asians, we mentioned earlier, that we're just accepting a whole bunch of Hong Kong nationals over to the UK in the next 12 months. Is it, is it, is it, is it fair for us to even want this much, like, from the country that we obviously pay taxes for? And the ta- I'm going to be honest, the taxes debate is, is a bit like, because everyone gets screwed over in the tax system because no one gets fully served, but we really don't get served. What What is fair to ask of a population of 3 million out of 68 million? And this question is in, intentionally designed to be fucky, but like, uh, what is it? I, I, I don't know. What words can you give to it? Run Jamaica their peas, isn't it? That's that's Run what, that's it. what I'm saying. Money, seven billion, run it back. Yeah. Run me my peas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you say it, yeah, I hear it in the in the voice of that guy from Belly, like, who God test me? Like, I hear it in that in that sound. If you don't know Belly, Belly is a cultural iconic piece of cinema involving DMX, Nas, uh, and a few and T Boz and a few other incredible actors. Please go check it out. It's on Netflix actually as we speak. But, but, but why 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 should people give a shit and why you know let's let's antagonize slightly like why why should people give a shit about what we're saying but do three million out of 68 why should we give a shit because brown people have come over here and done really well and they don't fuss about it and they vote conservative and they donate to it why should they give a shit about us why fam Look what we've contributed to this country. Come on man listen they invited us here they told us to come here. Come and help the, you know, after the Second World War, the country was on its knees. They need, the health system needed help. The construction needed help. Transport needed help. They invited us here. And then they wrote and said, these brothers are coming. <laughs> they're coming. <laughs> they're coming here in droves and they're going to stay. Like, no, stop. Nah, we're here. We're here. We're here. We've contributed, you know, my, my grandfather, grandmother contributed. That's one generation. My mum and dad have contributed to this country. And now I am here doing great things, contributing to this country. And so will my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're constituents. I'm, you know what I mean? Where this is, this is my home. And you remember in school, it was always like, you know, look at your, your background. So, you know, the Africans, ah, I'm African. And I was like, ah, Caribbean. And until you go there and like, I'm English. <laughs> okay. Until you go to that country and experience it. And you're like, rah, like, no, I'm, I'm British. I'm English. I'm, I'm here. So based on those contributions and the fact that I live here and I'm born here, I'm Mistaya. <laughs> okay. I'm here. Mm. I'm, I'm here. That's why let, we're let, here. Let, let me channel my inner GB news for a second here. Yeah. But like you've come, you've made money. Yeah. You've done well for yourselves. All of you are like, you know, got properties and shit and like money and saved up and you've you earned ta- good money from the, from the jobs that we've allowed you to have. What are you complaining about? Like, you have jobs, you have homes, yeah, you're living in decent accommodation, yeah, you have an NHS, NHS is one thing every British person is so fucking proud of, you know, what, what, now, what else do you want? Like, it's not, it's not equal, it's not equal for all. So, I'm, I'm speaking from a relatively high stallion, you know what I mean? Having had, uh, was that a dick reference, Marlon? (laughs) Horse, high horse. You know, having had uh, very good support systems around me, but, you know, I've got, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about our peers, 
you know, I've got friends that haven't had that, you know, single parent homes, um, you know, parents on entry level jobs, um, you know, people without, you know, without the education who completely missed it, friends that have ended up in jail, people who haven't had the same start in life, who need that support as well. So it's, it's the, 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 what we're fighting for is, is the balance. And the thing is, is that the white privilege will always prevail. You know what I mean? So whether you've had that start in life or not, whether you're, you're aristocracy white person or whether you've had a poor start in life, you can still, using your privilege, go and be accepted and get, you know, get a job without the same issues or worrying about your surname or, or all those things. So the, the starting block is, is absolutely not the same. And that's what we're fighting for, an equal starting block. And the, the fact that we're here and successful means that we have learned to cope with the Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mechanisms that have stopped us prevailing, you know what I mean? And we know how to overcome it every time we see it. But there's people in our community that don't have that resilience, don't have that mental capacity, don't have that strength to overcome them and, and crumble you know what I mean? So of that 3 million percentage that are doing really well, seamlessly doing well, it is small in compared to our, our counterparts, you know, so we're fighting for the rest of our community, the rest of the people that don't have that start in life, all those dons that have made mistakes and gone to jail and, you know, or don't understand how the education system works or don't understand how to communicate and get the benefits and things that, that, that life has to offer so they can enjoy it. You know what I mean? That's what, that's, that's what I'm here fighting for. Do you know what often goes through my head here is that we do this podcast and obviously we're black. We're, we're pretty much aligned on values. And I won't say this is universal because I have obviously encountered many black people who don't believe anything is wrong or they don't care. But we're, we're, we're already connected on this issue. And, you know, we share these frustrations on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, I, I then think, all right, so there's them, there's us, sorry, there's them who are black who, who believe that, you know, if you, you should be just working harder type energy. Then you see the more liberal white person who probably may listen and tune in because they're connected to like media, education or, you know, corporate spaces which are progressively trying to drive this conversation. They're educating themselves. They need to hear something. 
on the body off chance, you know, someone who genuinely believes that kneeling is a fascist Marxist point of view or whatever, then, you know, that person needs to hear something. And so sometimes when I'm doing this podcast, like I feel like this is so clear to us and our people, we're not talking to us anymore and we've got to push it further so that we can have, have create tools for non-black people to go and use in the spaces that they're in. Because when I spoke to Ralph Little, and this was now maybe two, three months ago, he's, he was great. I had a great conversation. I, you know, I feel like he's my friend. I feel if I rang him right now, we'd have a great conversation. He was that wonderful and open. But I, I could tell he needed information to go off and continue his journey. And so we ended up obviously doing it in public, which is great. But you need to continually keep putting that information out there. And I suppose this is a part of our labor. I don't want every white person on earth to come up to me and be like, so how do I talk to people about soccer and like, you know, listen to my podcast. But at the same time, we have a duty to create an environment for allies to continue to do their work because these resources are needed. What you really want to do is be able to have a book like René Ede Lodge and sell it one trillion times around the world. That'd be great. But, you know, for us, this is our method of doing so. And it is a bit of labor, but I suppose in many ways, there will be no change without it costing us something. And it can cost us in the pursuit of our greatness when we go into our jobs and get told that, you know, the way we gesticulate with our hands is threatening and then told that we, I don't think you're ready for management. You know, we can pay for it that way or we can pay for it upfront on our own terms, in our own platforms, in our own context, in our own language and share what these the impact is. And give people the tools of then what to do. What in your mind is the actionable element post, you know, so we've, so, so we've missed three penalties. They just happen to be three black people. A group of people have gone racist and gone wild. Lots of conversation is going on. Pretty Patel's pretending to be friends of black people. So is Boris. What, what, what needs to happen at this point? What would you say for someone who is in some of these spaces with these people that they should be communicating to those other communities or to the non-black community in terms of what the experience is? I think there's a, as you were saying, as you alluded to, there's a massive educational piece. I think people need to go away and really understand. I think one of the reasons why people are so ignorant in this country is because they genuinely don't know their history. They think Britain was great. They think they went around, you know, civilizing the rest of the world and you know us being brought into slavery was an amazing thing because we were running around naked eating people and stuff like that i think there's a genuine belief that they what they did bettered us and helped us in some type of way and so i think there is something where people need to go away as you said Rene edelodge's book is amazing then there's also david um Sega's book black and british which is also Bad amazing um and yeah they need to go away and educate themselves there's a responsibility there to go and find out about your country find out about the history what's not taught you know, they say history is written by the victors and they need to hear the other side of the story and hear what happened. Now, I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me after reading David's book, and this is one of the most bitter things that you'll come across, um, is on the University College London website, you, there's a database where you can go in and you can type your surname and it will show you who owned your family. So wow. we know, obviously, if you come from the Caribbean, our surnames aren't our surnames. And so you can actually research who owned your family. And to make it even worse, like there was one person who owned the Critchlows, you know, there was, there was loads, um, my, you know, my father's side come from Barbados and you can see who owned your family in, in that part of the world. But then you can see how much compensation they were given when slavery was abolished. And we all know the whole reparation argument is that they received compensation and we received nothing. And there was one particular person that received something like 2000 something back then in compensation. The next step I'd advise people to do is to go onto the, um, the, the Bank of England inflation calculator. 
and see how much 2,000 pounds in 1836 or whenever it was is equivalent to now. That one slave owner was equivalent to a quarter of a million Damn. now. And he got that in 18 something. And you Damn. think what that does to a family, Marlon hit, hit the point brilliantly about privilege. You think about the privilege that sets up your family for when you've had that amount of money back then, you know, over, you know, almost 200 years ago, that's the amount of money your family were given as compensation. No wonder you're further ahead now, but you got that money off the back of the work we were doing and the slavery that you inflicted upon us. So I think, yeah, for me, just in short, there is that educational piece. They need to go away and and understand that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bed of roses. It wasn't done in a, in a most peaceful and harmless way, but they underdeveloped Africa. They destroyed Africa. They've yeah, And they've also... They've killed millions of us over over the passage of time through slavery as well. And if you can if you can look at that and it doesn't hit you in your heart, then you're a monster. Mm. You know, if it doesn't affect you in some type of way, you're a monster. You need therapy. But if it does affect you, then yeah, start listening to us and work out what you can do to help us so we can all move forward in a positive way. Mm. I think I think you're spot. I think you're spot on. I think there was um there's a company called Black is it Black Hawks and they do history. Oh yeah, Black History Talks. Walks. Yeah, yeah, Black History Walks. Um, I brought them to do a talk at a company I work for and um, they were talking about black nobility so around the education piece so the premise that black people were in Africa living in huts and doing a madness and slavery essentially saved us you know what I mean before that black people were noble like what are you, what are you talking about um, there was pictures in England that they found of, you know, black people in armour on horses. And these were up in palaces. There's a place in Middle England somewhere that there was a settlement of Roman soldiers, uh, like the Moors, I think they were they were mm, called to. Yeah. Black dons, they got a plaque. Mm. They were like, no, my man was black. He had his whole African surname. Like, So educate yourself about who we were before the transatlantic slave trade. And then the, the steps that the Europeans took to completely dismantle that. There was, um, so my, my daughter's half Zimbabwean. And so I, I, I wanted to do some research and understand it. And there was a great city of Zimbabwe. And every pillar was this, this soapstone bird. And so that, that's what they found, this soapstone bird. But they thought it was just someone in a hut that was carving them. No, it was a great, it was a flipping trading port. And like the whole of the world went to this one place. I think it was like in the 14th century or something like that. The whole world came to this place and exchanged education, medicine, food, you know what I mean? And there was like loads of them, obviously, all over the world. But this this thing here was massive, you know, erased from history, completely erased from history. So in, in terms of like actionable elements, like go understand the black story, like realise how great and powerful we are. And it's two ways. So, you know, one, we want our counterparts to understand how great and powerful we come from and the nobility we, we were raised from. And then the translated state shape fractured that. But we also want our community to understand that we want our young people to know that they boom, they were kings and queens before that. And you know what I mean? That we had a huge stakes in society and then pay it forward. So, you know, the, the, the amount of money that they made. So there was the, there was a compensation story, but then there was the money that they made during the slave trade. So what is it? The um, West India company? backside that built this state bruv so you know all walking around canary wharf and <laughs> walking around bitch that that that's that was off our ancestors blood sweat tears and death you know what i mean all that money they they you know they moved rubber they they moved coffee and and all that wealth was was came and put back in this country and started a lot of 
the companies that are IPO today. So yeah, so is you're absolutely right. It's the educational piece, and our counterparts that have gone through that journey and read it and understand it are much more sympathetic, and you know, are the you know the catalyst of change. Every day you trust your gut and that gut feeling can lead to a kick in the guts, but your gut instinct was right. So you bust a gut because someone will have your guts if you don't. <sighs> you know what your gut deserves? Glenillen Farm Yogurt. Bursting with live cultures, it's the daily way to keep your gut happy and healthy and tastes delicious to boot. Choose Irish, choose local, choose Glenillen Farm. What, what, what can black people do? Like, what's our, So like, Dope Black has always been about the people who are highly functioning, the, the change makers in in our culture, coming together and being in the same room on the same topic and trying to see what we can all add value to it. What What is the actionable bits for black people? Because I never want to be in the full hands of whiteness ever. Like I, I appreciate it's a thing that they need to dismantle, but I'm not waiting for it. Like I'll put pressure in every room that I'm in and be aware of everything that's around me. But I'm not sitting there like, you know, living a substandard experience while I'm telling them that they must do stuff. Because by the time they figure out their consciousness, I won't be here and my children will suffer. So I'm getting on my bike. What what does the conversation look like between us about what we need to do to make sure that the conditions that have been created, we can survive, but also not survive, grow in them uh, and build something. What does that look like? I'm on the other side to you, Marvin. So I'm, I'm uh, Marvin with a Y. I'm on the, it needs to be, we need to be the catalyst of change. So dismantling that whiteness, I need to be in government. You know what I mean? That's how decisions are made. You know what I mean? So we can be in our communities, we can create our own platforms and, you know, so the way things are set up in society, we can create our own wealth on that side. But in terms of like, like you know, it fragments from the top. So I have to be in government. I, I have to be in there. I have to dismantle, to dismantle that whiteness and break down those those infrastructures that are oppressing us. I, you have to be the decision maker. I can remember speaking to my mentor and saying, oh, you know, it's it's really difficult being a young black male and trying to get by. And and he was like, well, be one. You know, you know what I mean? You want to hire more black people and you want to see more black males in, in, in government. Then, you know, you work really hard, become a manager and then you hire them. And that that that's how it starts. So that that's one part. And then the second part is, Put, reaching your, your black hands back down and pulling up your breaders. You don't get up there and then don't say nothing and just sit pretty and silent. You have to put your hand down and pull up your brothers and sisters and you, you open doors. That's exactly what it is. So from, from my granddad landed, he opened doors for my dad. And, and that's, that's, you know, uh, wealth and, and opportunity and uh, intelligence. And then my dad did exactly the same to me. You know what I mean? And then I've created a whole network where any bro can come to me and I will open the door for you and make it happen for you. And, that, and that's that's what we do and we pay it forward. So, you know, I'm of the, the essence that, you know, to, to, to break those constructs, we've got at least another 40, 50 years to go to that completely gets down. But it starts by that same blueprint. You know what I mean? We we open those doors and we let those people in. And that how is how you slowly fragment it and the educational piece. I think when I look at America, I think one advantage that they have is they have that common identity. Like they, they, they're all African-Americans because unfortunately, because of the transatlantic slave trade, they don't know necessarily where they came from in Africa. And I think when you, when you talk, touched on about us being fragmented, I think the issue we have over here is that we are fragmented because, you know, the, the West Indians came over and then Africans came over. And then we know even in the West Indies, you know, 
Barbados is a small island in comparison to Jamaica and then this and that. And then we know even within the African community that there might be friction between different nations in terms of Ghana and Nigeria, etc. And I think we need to put all of that aside and work forwards on a common goal and unify to say we can take this down together. And I think we're getting better at it. I think music's definitely helped. You know, back when we were in school, everyone was probably Jamaican when, when like dancehall and mash were coming up. <laughs> but then now things are moving forwards. And Portmore. Lagos, Portmore. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> and then now we've moved forward, we've got Afrobeats, um, you know, we've got the UK music scene. And I think it is pulling people together. And we need a lot more of that. We need people to be eating different food from different cultures, you know, going to different countries, um, Caribbean people going to Africa, Africans coming to the Caribbean, etc. And I feel like, yeah, we need to see ourselves as one collective voice and work together and then we can have a much bigger impact. Because as we see in America, um, when something goes down, they pull up. They're outside your house, they're outside your workplace, they support you and, and they're not going to let it fly. And I think we can do that if we were to work together in that unified way as well. Mm. I feel like we're clear on what the mission is and how we want to go about it, but also who we are in the fight. I think my, my concern has always just quite subtly been the kind of idea that if we don't have a very clear sense of action and a way to move forward powerfully, we will always be at the consequence of whiteness. And I think for me, that space is the space that I'm I'm done with. And then to trying to engineer a group of people who fully understand that, like be the change you want to see is one way of looking at it. Uh, there are people who infiltrate the system and try to adjust it, change it, dismantle it from within. There are people who create counter systems and ways of wicked and being that they you know build on their own. All of those things are probably going to be needed. I don't. I don't think it's going to be a single silver bullet. And so every time I talk about dope black, it's about it's about a hundred strategies for like a hundred million people. It's just like you're not going to get it based on like my personal view only, because you know quite often, and this is something that I was saying to the team about six months ago. It's great for me to go on the TV and the radio and say some slick shit. Yeah, it's like it's important, but I can't speak for the whole of the diaspora i can't speak for where the whole community is because you know my outlook may not serve everybody else my solution could be about you know us generating businesses but if you don't want to be a bloody business owner and you want to work and you just want to go to your job and not be like you're gonna be a teacher you want to be paid properly you're gonna be a nurse you're gonna be paid properly yeah i'll say that but my strategy is based on you developing your ability to become a provider for your community that's not everybody's work and so you know i think that the complex for us that we have, which is this like Martin Luther King concept, the Messiah complex that we have, where someone must come with an answer. And it's like, it's not. Like there's like, I, I just move around and if I like something, I might take it. Or if I like something, I might collaborate with it. But it isn't for me to sit there and discredit another strategy of like progressing blackness. And I think too often we don't take our own individual accountability while still holding those other efforts to account and telling them about their ass at the same time as like being really bloody good at what you do. Like my biggest frustration at this moment is that there is this massive shift about employing, hiring black people. And we whispered it the other day about, you know, we're doing all right and things are happening. It's very early. So let's not get comfortable and celebrate. It's, it's been literally like 12 to 18 months of, of things being slightly improved. <laughs> um, but like, you know, things are happening. But if they go to the wrong place, you know, if someone invests in the incorrect type of talent or the incorrect uh, type of um, professional skill set or whatever, and they think that that's their shot and it doesn't work for them or they have a violent reaction because they didn't hire correctly, it can create a counter very negative experience that reinforces ideas. So our job is to be good and be ready. 
And there are people that I've known who have been around for 15, almost 20 years doing work at a really high level who are just starting to get their uh, rewards for their greatness. And, you know, those people will hold the torch in a very powerful way. And I think that's the fundamental difference. This is not a space for opportunists. And I'm not even saying don't take a shot. If someone comes to me and says, Marvin, I got 10 million. Can you do something with it? I'll come up with a fucking plan. But I need, <laughs> I then need to be accountable to go find experts who can help me deliver what it is that I'm being set up to do. Otherwise, I've just fucked over someone for 10 million. They're not going to give 10 million, 1 million, 500,000 to anyone. And, and I feel like we've got to be mindful about what we're creating. And we've got to have a, a, a culture of like actually making sure the best people are involved, you know, even if it's not Amen. leave, like hire people who know what they're doing. And, and in many ways, and I think I said this to Mar Marvin, is that I didn't really even do that myself. I was like really just hiring people on the spirit of like, you were involved early. You know, the, what I'm asking you to do is pretty straightforward and you should be able to go and do it. And then when it doesn't work, you know, my frustration was like, oh, well, they didn't do a great job. But, you know, they weren't the they weren't the best in their field at the time. They were good people, which is completely different. And no disrespect to them, but like it's like this mission is real work. Like we often talk about it, like it's just like I'm amazing and black. So if I just be me in any scenario, that's enough. And it's like it's not. Like you've got to really be incredible at your craft and dedicate a significant amount of time and effort and uh, in becoming better and listening and learning. And like some of us do that, and some people don't. Some people sit on the sidelines and look for opportunities to take or to like, you know, pull whatever they can out and run off with the money as if that ain't going to come back and bite them as well as the collective us. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting observation in our learning from this week is that I'm fundamentally tired of having my life in the hands of whiteness and I'm tired of seeing black masculinity presented in the, in a negative and being so flippant. And so I, you know, the tweet that I put out there, which was, you know, no one loves us unless we provide something or no one loves us unless, you know, we make money for whiteness or we're scoring goals or rapping. That's when they're comfortable with who we are in their minds. But the second we come out of that space, it all goes left. And then, you know, then you start seeing these attacks where you start seeing these types of narratives around us about our lived experience. And as men, us three know more than anyone what Sancho and Rashford and Saka took to be there. We all had a guy in our state that was sick at football and most of them either died and went to jail, didn't make it because of discipline or whatever, or because of the environment that he was raised in. We know how many get lost before they make those three. So how good that they are in comparison to everybody else. And you think to yourself, and this is why I have a bit of a burn about people like Henderson or whatever and Maguire, where they're like talked about as if they've redefined defending in football for England. And it's like, you're C, you're C minus student, but the reality is, is because, you know, you've been able to grow up with a certain level of psych psychoanalytical experience, like you're able to exist in this culture without the continued stress. Like a lot of the thing that fractures a lot of black football players is the environment that they're in. It's so white normative. It's so oppressive to blackness. If, you, if you're too loud or if you're too jokey or if you cut your hair in a particular way, I think, I think it was, um, it was like a Klopp or Solskjaer. Solskjaer said that he tried to sign a player for mold. It might've been Klopp. He went to go sign the player and he walked in and he had like, he looked like a rapper, he said. And so he just immediately didn't sign it. I think it was Solskjaer. Uh, your, yeah, it was your yeah. guy. Hold tight, your, hold, tight, hold tight your manager still. Um, and he was like, he walked in there and he looked like a rapper and he cancelled it straight away. Do you know how deep and dark that is? And how wild that is to say to somebody like, you look like a rapper, not a footballer. 
what what's your perception of what a footballer looks like? This time, I'm not going to social, and I'm going to be deeply authentic here, is an F-plus player. Don't make the mistake here that he's not in the realm of A-star. He's not Messi and Ronaldo. He's not even in A-minus where it's like, Mbappe, Holland, and, and Neymar. He's not in B, where it's like Henri, Ronald. He's not. He's not there. He's like tears, tears, tears down. Do you know what I mean? And so for him to be disrespectful, he's tore Andre Flo with a Champions League winning medal. Do you know what I mean? So for him to turn around and say that is that's the level of person who can have a judgment on a player. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's when you know you cannot be a consequence of whiteness because in their head, you are a part of their imagination. You live in their head rent-free. And so your, the idea of you exists before you've even opened your mouth, before you even whatever. They just like, oh, the cold is, he's wearing a hat, hood, he's wearing trainers, so he's got to be a rapper or his hair's dyed or, you know, he's got airing and he must be a rapper. These times that guy could have been dedicated and this could have been his big moment. He could have been over the moon. He could have got that haircut to celebrate the fact that he thought he was going to a new club. You have no idea the context. You didn't even sit down with him. The elitism. That is what we're fighting constantly. And now Solskjaer, not only, yeah, as an F plus player, I think it was S F minus, player has now managed to manage one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the top five clubs in the whole world. He manages them through several years of mediocrity and is still their manager. And in this summer, he's been invested in with probably another two, three hundred million pounds worth of players to go and have another go. The elitism in that, the wildness in that, even Southgate as a manager, who's done pretty well, I'm not even, he's, he's performed again. Not even a player that was on the radar of 96. He barely got in the team. So for me, it's like, it isn't It isn't as simple as like, what do we do? And it's not as simple as like a few good white people. It goes deep. But we have to call it out everywhere we see it. Because, you know, this is why I was mad at Frank Lampard. I still am for so long. Every time Chelsea were playing bad, I used to hot that team up, you know. My tweets were so fiery for no reason. People look at me like, what's wrong with you? Because the second that he denied that he had a privilege in terms of getting a job at Derby, because he's bloody that. His uncle, Harry Redknapp, rang the... Because I think the, the chairman of Derby rang Harry Redknapp to try and get him to come be manager. He was like, nah, I'm not. I want to stay down south. The best I'm doing is London. Already a privilege, by the way, to sit there and turn a club down because it's like a hundred miles further north than you can to. He was like, "Do you know what? Do you know know who you should try out? You should try it, Frank. He's done a great job at coaching, whatever. He'll be brilliant for you guys." And then he got the job. Do you know how my uncle can't call Mel Making for shit? He can't. He can't call no one and get me anything. And like he, and then Frank Lampard was like, "Yeah, but that's you know, I, I earned it on credit." So That's when he lost his job, yeah. I was doing a little jig. I was like, good. Mm. You don't deserve nothing. And so I, I want us to, yes, be aware that there are things that happen in the macro, own some stuff for ourselves, like what can we do? And not from a place of like anti-blackness, but like pro-blackness, what can we do? But then also it's like, when you catch some people doing some shit or saying some slick shit, remind them of the evidence of the bullshit. Ola Gunnar Solskjaer is an easy one. So is Frank Lampard. But there's tons in every realm of whatever it is you do. Uh, guys, I actually got a goal, man. I went on too long. I went on a filibuster rant. I was really moved and annoyed. But um, thank you so much for joining us on this, man. Is there any closing words you want to say to Sancho, Rashford and Saka? They always listen to this podcast and they text me regularly. Do you, anything you want them to hear? Uh, you did nothing wrong. Keep your heads up, my Gs. The whole, the whole, I want to say the whole hood, but the whole neighbourhood. Our whole community. <laughs> And allies, like we're behind you, so you know it's cool. It's football, and we accepted that. 
you did something and contributed to something that we haven't seen in 55 years. So, you know, focus on that. And, you know, welcome to United, Sancho. Yeah. Uh, bruv, you, bruv, he's the sixth yeah. best attacker. He spent 70 million on the sixth best attacker. Your, your, your accountant's going to hell, bro. You see, you'll see, you'll see, mate. Bruv, he's, gonna, he's, bruv, he's a new Awobi, bro. He's a Awobi like. <laughs> what about you, Marvin? No, I mean, yeah, same as Marlon, man. We're proud. We're proud of what they did. They did us proud and they did themselves proud as well. And, you know, they can't even begin to comprehend the amount of kids they've influenced in a positive way to go out there and be their best. And I think that's what's amazing. Even just looking at the, the mural in, in, in Manchester and all the signs and all the, you know, the notes for Rashford, that's amazing. I mean, you never would have got that in our generation. I won't write no letter to no football player. Like, that's, Trust me. That's long, but, you know, yeah, now they've impacted a generation of kids and that's something that's never going to be forgotten. So a minor setback, but, you know, we're expecting great things from them, especially at United. Sick, man. <laughs> guys, I love you guys so much. Thank you. and so thank you guys for listening i really much appreciate it we'll be back next week with another episode uh you can find us at uh at dope black dads on all social media platforms you can also email me for a chat at hello at dope thank you so much for listening my brothers i appreciate you all Uh, we'll be back next week down to Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year and nothing's going to stop us making the most of every festive moment. Our gift cards can be used in all Tesco stores nationwide on all groceries, F&F clothing and Tesco mobile. And we're offering great discounts on bulk orders for organisations this Christmas. To find out more, visit tescoforbusiness.com and call our team today. For a limited time only, terms and conditions apply. Tesco, every little helps. That's Mrs. Byrne. She just got her entire M&S shop for free. She's this week's randomly selected Sparks customer who doesn't need to pay for a thing. Not only that, every time she shops at M&S and scans her digital Sparks card, M&S donates to her chosen Sparks charity. Plus, she gets personalised offers and treats. Sparks, the new reward scheme from M&S. Good things happen every time you shop. Join today in the M&S app. Terms, conditions and exclusions apply. For details, see marksandspencer.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.